You know, it, it's funny what happens at Christmas. Uh, in response to Christmas, a group in New Jersey called the American Atheists uh, put up a giant billboard on the expressway that said, you know it's a myth. This season, celebrate reason. You know it's a myth. This season, celebrate reason. And then a group of Christians in New Jersey bought the billboard across the expressway from it and put up a billboard that said, Jesus is the reason for the season. So all the New Jersey commuters every morning are confronted with, it's a myth, it's true, it's a myth, it's true, it's a myth, and they have to make a decision. You know, at some point in your life, have you ever wondered if Christmas is really true? And you know, it's a hard thing to admit during the Christmas season when your house is all lit up and there's a live nativity scene in your neighborhood and you've got a little Mary and Joseph on the coffee table. You know, this season, even if you don't believe, you pretend you believe because you enjoy being invited over to your family for Christmas dinner and this isn't really the time of the year to say, hey mom, I think maybe this is a myth. I mean, you don't want to miss out on the turkey, you don't want to be written out of the will. So these thoughts, we don't really express them openly. But at some point in your life, maybe you've wondered, is Christmas for real? Angels talking to shepherds? Really? Wise men following a star? How do you follow a star? A virgin birth? And we've become so accustomed to that phrase, virgin birth, that... You know, we just kind of take it for granted. In fact, you really can't think about that phrase too long, and it leads you to kind of uncomfortable, irreligious thoughts. And so, you know, there's just so much momentum around the Christmas story and the story of the baby Jesus that maybe you've never stopped to think about it. You know, why is the story in the Bible anyway? I mean, what, what, what do we learn from it? I mean, Jesus was born of a virgin... Therefore, you should go and, I mean, what's the application? You know, some people say that the story of Jesus' birth is important because that's what gives credibility to everything else that he taught. But, you know, for me, the resurrection does that. I mean, if you can rise from the dead, I really don't care how you were born. I mean, I've got this born thing already taken care of. I've experienced that, but death is kind of looming on the horizon. So if you can tell me how to rise from the dead, I'd like to hear about that. So do we really need the Christmas story? I mean, two of the gospel writers just left it out. Mark and John don't talk about angels and shepherds and virgins. You know, if you study history, you'll, you'll discover that it's not unusual in historical accounts for something to happen in the heavens when a person of influence is born. You know, there are stories about the stars lining up, Jupiter and Mars line up when Julius Caesar was born. Other stories about significant historical people, and when they're born, supposedly things happened in the heaven. And so for this story with Jesus to have a bright star and angels speaking, I mean, that kind of falls in with what happened supposedly to other famous people. Now, you know, one thing about Julius Caesar and these other famous people is those stories generally didn't get written. They didn't uh, 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 come to be until long after everyone who was alive when that happened had died. 
You know, the, the stories came about long after it was evident that this person was going to be famous. With Jesus, it was just the opposite. You know, the stuff about Jesus, a lot of it was written in the Old Testament before he was even born. And there are numerous Bible prophecies that talk about Jesus being born, being born of a virgin, being born in Bethlehem. Even the slaughter of the other innocent babies there in Bethlehem by Herod is predicted in the Old Testament. But even with that, the Christmas story can be difficult for us to believe if you stop and think about it. And some of you have never stopped to think about it because you've been taught it since you were a child and so it's just not an issue. Some of you can't stop thinking about it. I mean, you've given it some serious thought and you have some serious questions and, and now all of a sudden the preacher is voicing your questions. You know, I want you to know it's okay to question the Bible. The Bible can stand up to your scrutiny. God can take your questions. And so if you're a person who says, you know, I'm willing to go along with this Christmas season thing, I'm willing to go along with, you know, the Santa Claus myth and the Jesus myth, and, you know, I'm an American, it's only for, you know, 90 days, and, uh, <laughs> you know, my mother believed it, my mother's mother believed it, and, you know, I got a nativity scene at the house. I mean, I don't have to investigate this in order to make it historical. I, I can just go along with the feeling of the season, with the sentiment, the goodwill of the season. If that's your situation, if, if that's where you're at, then, then the verses we're going to look at today may be some of the most important verses in the New Testament for you. And my hunch is that you've never read these verses because they're not famous verses. Nobody holds these verses up at football games. But, but the verses we're going to look at today may be the verses that God will use in your life to help you strip away the doubt, the doubt that you've had about Jesus, and maybe even specifically about the whole New Testament. The traditional Christmas stories found in the book of Luke, uh, you know, that's the story that Linus reads from in the Charlie Brown Christmas. That's how traditional, how popular the story is from Luke. And Luke wrote a gospel. He wrote a biography of Jesus. Luke was a doctor. He, he was a physician. He wasn't Jewish, so Luke isn't looking for a Messiah. He, he didn't need a Messiah, and as a physician, he certainly wasn't looking for a virgin-born Messiah. And really, none of the first century Jews were looking for a virgin-born Messiah. That, that wasn't in the job description. They, they were looking for a Messiah who was from the, the house, the lineage of King David. But the whole virgin thing, nobody was looking for that. It was not a requirement that the Jews were looking for. And Luke certainly wasn't looking for it, and yet we discover that Luke embraces this part of the story. Luke had a Christian friend named Theophilus, and Theophilus was the kind of Christian that maybe some of you are, in that he had a general belief in Jesus, but he wasn't so sure about the specifics. He, he wasn't real clear about the details. Uh, he lived in the first century. He lived during the time that, that people who knew Jesus were still living, uh, eyewitnesses of the birth, life, death, crucifixion, resurrection of Christ were, were still alive. So there were stories that were circulating around about what Jesus had done. And so Theophilus evidently had questions that he would ask Luke. He'd say, Luke, you know, I heard this story about Jesus. Is this story true? Because some of the stories that were circulating weren't true. 
Luke, I heard this story about Jesus, and I'm kind of confused. How does this story fit with this story? You know, there's, there's just so many stories. I can't put them in order. I don't know how this thing went down. And so Luke decides to write what he calls an orderly account of the life of Jesus. Uh, here's how Luke begins his account uh, in Luke 1.1. 1, 1. First word, right out of the chute. It says, many. Already it's interesting. Many have undertaken to draw up an account. Not tell a story, not make up a story, not write a story, but to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And the account that he's talking about are all the events surrounding the life of Jesus. So here's Luke in the first century before Jesus is a famous person. This is before the church is spread uh, throughout the world. Luke says, a Theophilus, a lot of people are trying to get this story straight. Many people are writing down uh, stories, trying to record what happened with Jesus. And, and, and we're trying to put some of their stories in chronological order because we want to know with certainty what happened. And Paul says, or Paul, Luke says, I'm one of those people. And that's why we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have four gospel stories. And Luke would say, hey, there was Fred and Frank and, and Susie wrote one. I mean, there are all kinds of people who are trying to write this stuff down. Later, the early church uh, would sort through all these different accounts, and they decided that the four accounts that we have today, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four accounts were the best and most accurate accounts. But when, when Luke is writing, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us, and that, that is critical, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. You know, Luke says to Theophilus, this account that I have put together. This isn't third-hand information. This isn't second-hand information. This wasn't written 200 years after the fact. No, to the best of my ability, I put together an account of what happened based on eyewitness stories by those people who were there. Now, we know from other sources that Luke knew Peter. Uh, Luke knew the Apostle Paul. Luke spent a lot of time traveling with the Apostle Paul. Luke knew James, the brother of Jesus. And Luke most likely knew Mary, the mother of Jesus. In verse 3, he says, With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated. Luke says, The account I'm about to give you of the life of Jesus is the result of my personal careful investigation. It is the result of interviews that I have conducted with eyewitnesses, people who were actually there. I have carefully investigated everything that's happened, and this is what I've written down. He says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know, and, and this is awesome, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In other words, Theophilus had been taught a lot of random stories about Jesus Christ, all these different things that Jesus said and did, but they're just random stories, kind of like you may have random knowledge of the Bible. You know, random stories about Jesus. He calmed a storm, he walked on water, he fed 5,000 people, you know, he preached a sermon on a mountain, he healed a blind man, he, he told some parables, he rose from the dead, I mean, just these random stories. 
And so Luke, with first-hand accounts from eyewitnesses who were actually there, writes down a carefully investigated account of the life of Jesus. So he could give it to Theophilus, and he could give him something that would give him the certainty that he was looking for about the things that he'd been told. Now this is why this is important for you if you're not a Christian or if you're considering Christianity or or maybe you've come back to Christianity. Here's something that you should know. Christianity is not about belief in belief. Christianity Christianity is not about faith in faith. The foundation of Christianity is something that happened in history. The foundation of Christianity is events that actually took place. Our faith is not founded simply on the teachings of someone. A lot of religions are just based on the teachings of someone. Our Christian faith is based on events in history, beginning with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Luke says to Theophilus, I I understand that you need more information. So I have thoroughly investigated this. I have done interviews with eyewitnesses in order to give you an orderly account. Not a story, not a fairy tale, not a myth, but an account of something that actually happened. Many people are trying to get this straight, Theophilus, because what happened is so extraordinary that we dare not let any of the details slip. That doesn't sound like once upon a time, does it? You know, that, that doesn't sound like long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Okay, it's not once upon a time there was a king in a land, but don't ask me the name of the king and don't ask me the land because it doesn't matter, it's a fairy tale. No, it doesn't begin that way. It begins with a non-Jewish medical doctor investigating the life of Jesus. Luke sat down with eyewitnesses of these events and he had them help him put together an orderly account of the life of Christ that goes all the way back to the very beginning. And so what Luke gives us in his story of Jesus is he gives us an account of the birth, life, death, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. The Messiah, the Savior, The person that Luke will conclude in his gospel is the very son of God. Now here's how his story goes on in in Luke 1.26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, you remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth and uh, and the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist to Elizabeth. Well, now in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now the first part of this sounds very general, just very factual. Nazareth, a town in Galilee, a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph. I mean, Luke could have gotten that information from anybody. But when you start reading that Mary was greatly troubled at the angel's words, or you read that, that Mary wondered what kind of greeting this might be, I mean, that reads like a first-hand account from Mary herself. I mean, who else would know how Mary felt? Who else would know what Mary wondered 
when the angel spoke to her. And, you know, I just loved the picture of Luke, the physician, sitting down with Mary and just letting her pour out her heart about her encounter with the angel Gabriel. The angel said to her, and, and the angel said to her what angels always say to everybody. What did the angel say to her? He said, yeah, do not be afraid. That's what angels always say because people are always afraid when they see an angel. And he goes on and he addresses Mary personally. He calls her by name. He says, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. You know, the angel has just unloaded a ton of information onto Mary. Angels are primarily messengers who deliver messages. In fact, the root of the word angel is is messenger. That's what angels do. They deliver God's messages. To be an angel means to be a messenger. And this angel has just delivered a whopper of a message. And, you know, six things that he's told Mary. He told her, Mary that she'd found favor with God. He told Mary she's going to conceive and give birth to a son. He told Mary what the son's name is going to be. He told Mary that this son will be great and will be uh, called the son of God. He told Mary that this son will be a king like King David. And he told Mary that this king's reign would never end. I mean, this is an amazing message. I mean, that's a whopper. You're going to conceive a child. He will be a son. You're to name him Jesus. He'll be called the Son of God. He will be a king. He will rule on David's throne forever. That's just a lot of information. I almost get the sense here that Gabriel is just spitting this stuff out quickly so that he doesn't forget it. You know, I want to make sure I get it all in. So here's everything. I've been, I've been rehearsing this, and now here it is. I mean, these baby announcements in the Bible are just very interesting. There's a pattern that we see in the angel's announcement. We see it in an angel's announcement to Abraham and Sarah about their son Isaac. We see it in the angel's announcement to Zechariah and Elizabeth about their son John. We see it in the angel's announcement to Mary about her son Jesus. The angel shows up with the birth announcement and they don't believe him. I mean, they have some reason why it can't be true. You know, Abraham and Sarah, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they both have been waiting and praying for a child for years, for decades. And then when the angel shows up and announces that they're going to get the answer to their prayer, when the angel shows up and says that that they're going to get their child, they don't believe them. We're too old. Mary... Mary's a godly young lady who has found favor with God because of her faith. You know, Mary has been waiting and expecting the Messiah since she was a toddler. And now the angel shows up and announces the Messiah's birth. And notice Mary's response to this message. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? You know, the angel shows up to announce that God has heard our prayers, God is going to fulfill his promise, and our first response is that that just can't happen because of our limitations. I'm too old, she's too old, I'm a virgin. I mean, there's always some limitation why this can't happen. There we are with an angel standing right in front of us telling us what God is going to do, and human nature is to deny the plausibility of the message because of our limitations. 
You know, for some reason, God's power, God's majesty, God's miracle-working ability pales in comparison to our limitations, even in the presence of an angel. You know, God says he's going to do this wonderful thing, but we think he can't because of my limitations. I mean, has that ever happened to you? Does God ever speak into your life and tells you what he wants to do in answer to your prayer? He wants to do amazing and awesome things for you, and your response is, well, God, you can't do that because, and then you start listing all your limitations. You know, the message of Christmas isn't about your limitations. The message of Christmas is about God's power, God's ability, uh, God's miracles. And so in, in response to, to Mary's concern, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The angel says, Mary, this isn't about your ability. This isn't about your power or strength. This isn't about your situation or your circumstance or your condition. This is about the power of the Most High God. And I love the word picture that Luke uses here. He says, the power of the Most High will what? Overshadow you. Overshadow. What a cool word. You know that word? Luke is the only author in the New Testament to use that word. He uses that word overshadow three times. He uses it here. He uses it in Luke 9.34 when he describes the transfiguration. Remember when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on top of a mountain and, and, and showed them his glory? And it says that God came down in the form of a cloud and he spoke to them. And it says a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they feared as they entered into the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. They were overshadowed by the power and presence of God. And God made it clear to them that Jesus Christ was God's son. You know, there's a connection between being overshadowed and Christ being declared to be God's son. Uh, Luke used this word again in, in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the second book that Luke wrote to Theophilus. And it gives uh, an account of the Acts of the Apostles. And in Acts 5.15, Luke is describing how the people of Jerusalem responded to the powerful preaching and the amazing miracles that accompanied Peter in the early days of the church. You know, Peter has been preaching. Amazing things have been happening. People are being healed. I mean, it's just awesome what happens when the church gets started. And the people of Jerusalem are so impressed with Peter that, that it says, they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. You know, there was such a, a miraculous confirmation of the message that Peter preached that the people of Jerusalem thought that Peter's shadow might heal them. You know, that's the kind of power that Gabriel said was going to overshadow Mary. Mary didn't need to worry about her condition, her situation, her ability. The Holy Spirit would overshadow her and meet her needs and God would do what God had promised to do. The angel referred Mary to Elizabeth as proof of what God uh, could do. It says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. 
And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Read that last phrase with me. For no word from God will ever fail. I mean, if God said it, you can take it to the bank. Look at Mary's response. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. And Luke goes on and he tells the story of Mary going to visit Elizabeth. And, and, the, and this, is, for me, is, is one of the most tender, one of the warmest stories in the New Testament. I, I just love the picture of these two amazing ladies. They spend about three months together during their amazing pregnancies. I mean, here's the aged Elizabeth uh, carrying John, who the Bible says was filled with the Spirit from, from the time of his conception. And here's the young Mary uh, carrying Jesus, the, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And I just imagine Dr. Luke sitting down and visiting with Mary about this time that they spent together. And I just really believe that Mary was the source of this information here. I mean, where else is Luke going to get this kind of personal, insightful information into the, what's happening between these two ladies? I mean, Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, they were old when Elizabeth conceived. I mean, they're certainly passed on by this time. John the Baptist had his head cut off. He's not around to tell the story. I mean, who are the eyewitnesses to this? It's Mary. You know, Mary was a young maiden at, at this time. She could have easily lived many years after the death of Christ. And, and she's the most likely source for Luke's account, certainly about these events surrounding Gabriel and the angel in her time with Elizabeth. And even as Luke moves on into chapter 2 and tells the story of Christ's birth, I mean, who's the one person who could have provided the details of that story? And is Luke going to go back to Bethlehem and track down some shepherds? You know, is he going to go to every inn in town saying, hey, you know, about 40-some years ago, was there a baby born in your barn? You know, the most reasonable source here is Mary herself. And that's what makes Luke's account so different than all our other Christmas stories. I mean, let's face it, the, you know, this Christmas thing runs on two tracks. You know, the, there, there's the Jesus track and there's the secular track. There, there's the Jesus track and there's the Santa track. And, and they are totally different tracks. They operate in totally different ways and they take you to totally different places. You know, the Jesus track is not a myth like the other track. You know, I mentioned earlier about having faith in faith. Well, that's what happens in all the other Christmas stories. In all the other Christmas stories, you have to have faith in faith. In the Santa story, Santa becomes real when you believe in him. You know, in the Polar Express, the bell only rings if you believe in Christmas. You know, there's a new one now, the elf on the shelf. And the magic of the elf only works if you believe. If you touch the elf, you remove the magic and... You don't believe and you don't gain presents. Buddy the elf, you know, you got to sing or the sleigh won't fly. You know, they're, they're myths that only become true if you believe in them. They require faith in faith to make them true. But here's the difference with Luke's Christmas story. Luke's Christmas story is true whether you believe it or not. Luke's Christmas story is true, whether you believe it or not. A virgin conceived, a Savior was born. 
That is an historical event that happened, whether you believe it or not. Your faith doesn't affect the facts of that story one bit, but your faith in the facts of that story affects you tremendously. Luke says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You know, this Christmas, don't limit the message and the power of God. As God speaks a message of hope and and life change into your life, don't immediately counter with your limitations. Instead, let the power of God overshadow you. Let the power of God come into your life and provide you with healing and help and hope. The things that you need to fulfill God's plan and purpose for your life. Don't resist. Open your life and let God overshadow you. Let's pray together. Maybe you're here today and and, and you need the power of God in your life. You you need God to overshadow you in your marriage. You need God to overshadow you in your finances or in your job situation or, or in your situation with your kids or in your health. You need the power of God to show up in in an amazing way in your life. I just want to invite you just to open your heart and life and say, God, please, please come in your power, come in your strength. I thank you for the promise of a Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived, who died on the cross to, to free me from my sin, who rose from the dead so that I could have the hope of eternal life. God, I thank you for this, this account from Luke. And God, I believe it. And I believe in you. And I wait for you to work in my life. God, help me to find favor with you. In Jesus' name we pray.